Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to take your Bibles. Let's go over to James chapter 3. All right, let's uh, pray and get to work on our text this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. It's, it's awesome, and it speaks so clearly to our lives. It is so poignant, so relevant, so clear, especially on this matter of the tongue. And as we enter into this journey today together, I pray that you would help us to um, really learn what you say, and probably some things we already know, but some stuff we really too quickly forget. And so I pray that you would... Help us today to be reminded of some really important truths that are in your word. Thank you for your care for us and providing such clear instruction. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So as a kid growing up, I imagine your world was like mine. I had teachers and parents in my life who gave me some pretty helpful pieces of advice and instruction. And these little tidbits have helped navigate life. Uh, For instance, um, look both ways before you cross the street. That's a good one. Um... Don't talk with your mouth full. Helped you get a job, right? Um, uh, when you sneeze, you know, cover your mouth, things of that sort. And so these little things help us as we navigate the social structures of life. And then our friends also tell us certain things that maybe seem to be helpful, but weren't maybe as true or as accurate. And maybe you, like me, heard this little phrase when you were a kid. Someone dissed you or called you a name on the playground, and so you threw back with this statement, well, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Ever said that? Well, just so you know, you kind of grew up when you figured out that statement is patently false. Because the fact of the matter is, sticks and stones, they do break our bones, but reality is words can really, really hurt. In fact, my guess is, is there are some of you who you'd almost rather have a broken bone than to endure what you've endured in the past. Or you wish you could somehow break your own bone to get back uh, the words that you've said that have just decimated and hurt somebody deeply. You can probably think of a moment where you've been the offender or you've been the victim of very difficult and painful words. We're going to talk about that over the next number of weeks. 
If you've not been around College Park very long, every August since I've been here, we've done a series on relationships. It's kind of our one season of the year that we do a little bit more of a topical study. We'll take particular passages and dive deep into them. So it's still exegetical, still expositional, but it's not a book study per se. We're going to jump into that in a couple of months in the book of First Timothy. What we want to do during the month of August is just talk about something that really relates to all of our lives. And what does the Bible say about a particular subject? Um, like, for instance, a couple years ago, we talked about how to kill relationships and irritate people. And uh, so that we talked about that and what that looks like. Be full of yourself and use anger to get what you want. So those are all online. And then the year after that, we talked about what it meant to be an approval junkie. Remember this? About how to, a fear of man and just our struggle with what people think of us. And we saw some great things that the Bible um, really teaches us in, these, in this category. Well, during the next five weeks, we're going to talk about how we talk. And because the reality is, you know, every one of us from the very moment we woke up till we come to church even today have been talking. And the question is, do you really know what you've been saying? And do your words fit with what God would want you to be saying? Another reason why we do this in the month of August is that there's some of you who this is the first Sunday you're back in church and your kids are starting school. You're thinking, hey, you know what? Time to get serious about church. I'd love to have you stay all the way through the next three, four, five weeks. And in fact, if you have a neighbor... If you got someone, hey, thought about inviting them to church, this would be a great time. A little short series, real, really helpful, and it will identify for them some biblical truths. In fact, let me tell you where we're going to go over the next five weeks so you get a handle of just kind of where we're going to be um, walking our way through the scriptures. So this week, we're just setting the framework of why words are important and why we should be careful. And then next week, talking about to be careful about what we say about others. Talk about gossip and flattery and what's the difference. And then be careful what you say about yourself and boasting and pride and all that. And then how to balance grace and truth. One of the real challenges is how to maintain this important balance between speaking loving words and truthful words. And then finally, how to encourage others. I don't know about you, but I can live on one encouragement for about four hours and I need another one, right? And so this notion of needing to encourage one another, because we live in a rough world. And if any group of people ought to really be encouraging, it ought to be folks who know and love the Lord Jesus. And so that's what we're going to look at over the next five weeks. And I hope that by the end of this series, you'll be better armed to not follow the pattern of people who've hurt you in the past. I mean, I know some of you grew up in homes where, man, it was a verbal war from people who you love, parents, parents. a mom or a dad, they said they loved you, but their words were just awful. And you swore you wouldn't be like that. And now here you are, 35, 40, you got kids in your house, and you find yourself talking just like your dad did. And you're like, you know what? I told myself I wasn't going to do this. And here you are. Some of you have to break that pattern of the past. Others of you have used just horrible words in the context of your marriage and, and have made so many withdrawals. Um, others of you... In your workplace, you live in a really intense environment, and man, people climb to the top by virtue of how they talk, and 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 you got to learn how to navigate these this world, and 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 even if you're a single person and you're looking at how do I gauge a, someone's um, uh, eligibility for marriage, talking and how they talk is really important, and so I just want to help us understand this so you'll be better armed, and I also hope that you'll be more careful, thoughtful, and spiritual about. The things that you say, that you'll just be more aware of the importance of this. And, and then through all these messages, I just want to remind you over and over and over and over that the real hope doesn't come just from changing your behavior. The real hope comes from an internal change that comes by virtue of the gospel. That Jesus, when he changes you, not only changes what you talk about and what you say, he changes your heart 
which changes the ultimate source of where those words come from. And so that's what we're going to do over the next five weeks. I know no better text than all of the Bible, no more pointed text on this subject than James chapter 3. I mean, James just nails it. And you know why? Here's why. Because he's a pastor. He works with real people in the city of Jerusalem, and he has personally seen, I am sure, the, the cost, the high withdrawal of what happens when people don't use their words carefully. And today we're going to see four reasons why um, James wants us to be careful about how we talk. This is really the, the crystallization of his concern, overarching in the book of James, for true spirituality. In other words, if you really claim to be spiritual, then you've got to get serious as a heart attack about how you talk. That, that's just how James presents it. So first, James just sets it up this way. You know, notice that he says that words are important. Verse 1. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So, James, as the pastor of the city of church in Jerusalem, was particularly concerned, not just about the tongue. The the tongue was a subset of a bigger concern on his part. His concern was for righteous actions and attitudes that fit with genuine faith. So so James is concerned about people who say that they have faith, but their life doesn't back it up. And in fact, um, one of the most famous passages in the book of James is in chapter 1 and verse 14, where it says, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is what? dead. So faith, if it doesn't have works, it's not alive. In other words, there needs to be a direct relationship between what you believe and how you live. Now, as a subset of that theme, James talks about the tongue, our words, how we communicate. And he says things like, James 1.19, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I love that text. So hard to apply. Then he says this, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. He clearly sees the importance of this issue and he even links it, this idea of how you talk, to the state of your soul. Even seeing how you talk is a proof of your righteousness. Listen to what he says in James 1.26. This is a really important verse. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. That's a huge text. Because what he's saying there is if you claim to be religious, you call yourself a Christian, you go to church, you listen to sermons, you go, yeah, that's good, that's good, that's good, but you don't bridle your tongue, bottom line, you're self-deceived, you're religious, your religion, it's worthless. So for James, the validity of what you believe centers on how you talk, and we'll see why he would make such a... Um, significant statement like that in his book. Now, chapter 3 begins with a reference to a teacher. And his statement is a caution about becoming a teacher. But he's using this subject as a, of a teacher to introduce the bigger subject in regards to our words. And what he's simply saying is that if a person uses a lot of words, if words are their life, they're a teacher, then there will be greater judgment. So there's a pretty simple equation in life, and it goes like this. The more words you have, the more responsibility you have. Meaning that every word that you say, you're responsible for. So the more you talk, the more responsibility you have. 
The more you keep talking and talking and talking, the more opportunity you have for doing good, but also for doing bad. In fact, the book of Proverbs advises, you know, if you really just want to take one thing to consider, consider this, that even a fool, when he is silent, is considered wise. In other words, if you say less, people will actually think you're smarter than what you really are. So listen to Proverbs chapter 17, verse 27. He says this, whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool keeps silent, even a fool rather who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. So here's some great, I mean, here's some great counsel from Proverbs. He even has an element of self-interest. I mean, if you just want people to think you're smart, Here's what you should do. Just talk less, right? <laughs> because here's the deal. That every time we open our mouths, we reveal our ignorance. That's what we do, right? We, we tell people what's really going on inside. We, we demonstrate what we really don't know. And for that matter, sometimes even showing up, showing who we really are. And so Proverbs is saying, look, even a fool is considered wise when he talks less. The point of this is that words, how we handle them, what we do with them, are really important. So the takeaway, just at the very beginning, needs to be this, that how we talk and what we say and how we communicate, and I mean not just in verbal words, I mean in the whole other areas as well. I mean what you put on Facebook, what you text. I mean, I've seen people have arguments over texts or not understand something. I got an email this week from someone, and I didn't know what they were saying, and they didn't put the smiley face at the end. And I was like, okay, let me show you this symbol. I need this symbol to know, because I had no idea what the person was talking about. We have these whole new ways of communicating. And, and in some cases, what you say is not just out there in terms of the person's heart. What you say is out there all over the planet. And so the effect of this is that we need to really think about what we are saying The problem is, is that we often just simply let our mouth run on autopilot. We don't think about what we're saying. There's too quick of a connection between what we think, what we feel, and what comes out of our mouth. And one of my hopes through just today's message alone is that we could slow down, put a spiritual speed bump between what you think and what you feel and what you say. In fact, I've said to you before, that the problem with our thinking is that we don't think about our thinking. We just assume that just because we feel something, it's true, or just because I think something, it's right. Well, the Bible calls us to constantly be thinking about our thinking. Well, there's another problem, and this is how it's connected to the tongue, and it's this, that bad thinking without any restraint can lead to sinful talking easily. What happens, you got people who are thinking wrong things, they've got wrong stuff going on in their hearts, wrong stuff going on in their minds, and then they've got no guard on their mouth. In fact, they may pride themselves, I'm a man who just tells it like it is. And that's the problem, bro. We, you just tell it like it is, and we know how it is, right? So that's, so that's the issue. I'm just a straight shooter, right? And that's the issue, right? And, and so the problem is there's no restraining that's happening, and without this governor that's supposed to be on our tongue, man, sinful words just come out in the home, in the context of our relationships, at work. The effect is disastrous. So I have a caution for you. It's this. If, if you just allow your heart and mind to think whatever it wants to think without any restraint and then connect your mouth and no restraint to your, to your heart, what's going to come through your mouth is going to create an enormous amount of problems in your life. Words are that important. 
So verse 2 goes even further. James says this. He says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. Now that word perfect doesn't mean like you've never sinned. It doesn't mean you're nailing it in every area. What that word means, it's a Greek word, teleos. It means mature. It means that you've grown up. If you're able to bridle your body, then, then, or able to bridle your tongue rather, then you're able to control the body. You are more mature. You are really growing up. I mean, you know this, don't you? If you've had kids, you know that one of the scariest moments in all the world is when your kids are walking in a grocery store and they see somebody that looks a little different. And all of a sudden they go, hey daddy, look at that guy. He's, and your hand goes swoop on their mouth, right? And you're like, no, 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 don't say that, right? I've taken my kids to hospital visits, to funeral homes. Believe me, they've had that hand go over their mouth lots of times. Oh, what's that? Duh. You know, just, just shh. As you grow, you're supposed to learn when not to say certain things, right? It may be true, but it shouldn't be said. And so in a spiritual realm, it's the same thing. That words equal maturity. There's a direct connection between the two. The the reality is, is that there is this direct connection between what's going on in your soul, in terms of who you are and your spiritual growth and what's coming out of your mouth. In fact, remember James 1.26, the passage I just read, that the words that you use, the tones that they carry, are very indicative of what is really going on inside of your heart. So let me just bottom line it and put it bluntly. Man, if you think you're spiritual and mature, but you can't control your tongue, you're not either. You're not a spiritual leader in your home. You're not a godly woman. You're not a godly young man or woman. If you can't control the tongue, you are not nailing it when it comes to spiritual maturity. So this is a really important deal. So let me just ask you, do you think about the words that you use? What do your words really tell you about the state of your soul Are are the words that you use, are they even on your spiritual radar? Is there any restraint in what you say? Do people know you as someone who's restrained in their words? Or are you known as this guy who just keeps talking and talking and he won't ever be quiet? Are you known as someone who can keep confidence? Or are you the kind of person who says one thing to one person and another to, to somebody else? Are you known as a person who is cautious and careful? See, these are the kind of questions we need to ask ourselves because, friends, this issue of how we talk and what we say and the words that we use and how we communicate is really important. In fact, I think it's probably more important than we really even realize. And so James is trying to raise the awareness of this issue. Now, the second thing, and this is really the big thing that he says in the text, is that the words that we use are so important because they have power. Especially in the sense that the tongue is so small, but it has an enormous or an inordinate amount of power. And in order to show how small things have big power, James gives some um, word pictures for us. The the first one he uses is that of a bit in the mouth of a horse. Look at verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. So what he's showing us here, and this was pretty obvious metaphor for his own day, horse was the main means of transportation, the main means of agriculture. Um, you were considered to have a stellar fighting force if you had lots of horses. And this great animal that everyone revered could be moved by a small little bit that was put into its mouth. And James says, just notice, here's a big animal, and we move it by virtue of this little bit. And then he uses the illustration of a rudder on a ship. Look at the next verse. He says, uh, verse 4, Look at the ships also. 
Though they are large, notice the size, large ship, and they're driven by strong winds. So he's increasing now, not just a horse. We got a big ship and strong winds. So lots of force, lots of girth. But underneath the water is this small little piece of wood called a rudder. And they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. In verse 5, he summarized it, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. And then he goes now to another illustration that changes it a bit. So the other two were small things that move great things. Now we have an illustration of a small thing that grows on its own. A spark that creates a fire, a forest fire. Final illustration here in verse 5 adds this new component. He says, how great... A forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And think of this in James's time. They have no helicopters to drop water on a forest fire. Probably not a lot of technology in order to fight this fire. Instead, they, when a forest fire happens or a brush fire, you're at the mercy of it. I mean, you have to wait almost till it burns itself out. And so in many respects, this little spark has created this vast forest fire that almost has a life of its own with its own destructive power. And if you were to look at the burnout of everything that's happened and you said, wow, how did that happen? The answer would be, well, someone had a little fire and it got out of control. And if that isn't a great picture of what happens with the tongue, I don't know what is. Because you can just think, can't you, of countless ways that you've said something and it's got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and worse and worse. You've probably had arguments with your spouse and you were just getting to the end where you felt like, okay, we're just going to solve this. And then you had to say one more thing, right? Can I get a witness on that? Ah, uh, yeah, okay, so, yeah, uh, come on, it, it happened, you're just there, and then you just had to say it and put another hour, another hour of your life you can't ever get back, right? Just because you had to say it, right? Or your tones, and, your, and that's what happens. The thing grows and grows, or you get into the argument, and you're like, I don't even know what we're talking about anymore, right? Because we're just so angry and sinful. What's happened? Well, this fire has just grown and grown and grown. So what James is trying to show us here is what we all know, but we don't know, is that small things have great power. He says the tongue is a small member. This is verse 5 again. Yet it can boast of great things. It's, it's remarkable to think, friends, that this small little member of the body, this instrument in your mouth, the words that come out of it, can create huge problems. It's why uh, one person said the pen is mightier than the sword. Even the great conqueror and emperor Napoleon Bonaparte said four hostile newspapers are more to be feared than a thousand bayonets. Words of power. The tongue can ruin reputations, it can scar someone for life, it can create needless conflict, it can ruin careers, and it can even start a war, a literal war. People have died because people didn't use caution with their words. The tongue has a lot of power. Then verse 6, notice this, sums it up really well. Here, James coming now to the, the pinnacle of his argument, and he uses some pretty strong words These are meant to sort of shock us into helping us to realize the importance of this issue. He says, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on by fire, or set on fire by hell. Notice these. He calls it a fire. Not just like a small fire, but the tongue is a fire. It has destructive power. It can cause enormous damage in your life and the lives of others. 
One commentator says this, a fool's tongue is long enough to cut his own throat. Probably seen that happen. A world of unrighteousness, secondly, he he calls the tongue like it's its own world, its own realm, its own planet. It's It's a portal, if you will, to an entire realm and kingdom of evil and unrighteousness. As the wardrobe was to Narnia, so your tongue is to this world of unrighteousness. This open it up and all of a sudden all this stuff comes out. Imagine you like me can think of just terrible things that you've said and you just are so aghast that you said it. In fact, you probably said it this way. I can't believe I said that. And what you really mean is you can't believe you said it out loud. (laughs) Because the fact of the matter is that was going on for a long time inside of the soul before it came out. It stains the whole body. The tongue, even though it's small, affects the whole Like a small stain on a shirt, a tie, or a dress, it ruins the whole package. And remember in James 1.26, it says that your tongue can ruin even your entire perspective on what real religion is. If you're religious but you can't control the tongue, you're self-deceived and you're religious, your religion is really not worth anything. And then it says, set on fire the entire course of life. This is a, a very loaded statement. He means that you can spend years... Years developing a relationship, and in a few seconds, you can ruin almost everything. It sets on fire the entire course of life. Some of you, you you smell relationally like smoke because your home that you grew up in was filled with the fire of evil words. And you have lived in the shadow of this, this, these awful words that were sent your way. Maybe you had an abusive family or uh, someone who just constantly rided you. And there is this very sensitive part of your heart and soul. You know what it's like to have your entire course of life directed by virtue of some, something or a group of things that someone said to you. The tongue can create the future of your life. People doing it to you or you doing it to yourself. You can have in the middle of a job interview, in the middle of a of a, a dating relationship, in the middle of a context of a marriage argument. You, you you can define the course of your life by the wrong word, by the wrong thing that you say. And then finally, he gets to the source, and this is just really dramatic. He says, "And set on fire by hell." I can hear him just preaching this to his congregation, because just outside of the gates of Jerusalem was this place called Gehenna. It's the same word that's used here as hell. It was used for the Valley of Hinna, where um, in the book of Jeremiah they sacrificed children and later became a trash heap. So people would take their trash and dump it out, would light it on fire, and so this Valley of Hinna became this smoldering cauldron of waste and refuse and junk. And when Jesus wanted to describe what hell was like, as a place of ultimate condemnation in Matthew 23, he used this metaphor of Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnom, to describe what hell is like. In other words, what James is saying here is that it, your tongue, in its wickedness, is set on fire by the smoke, smoking cauldron of evil that is connected with Satan. I don't want to be overly dramatic here, friends, but I have seen it time and time again that Satan has used the tongues of people to do his bidding. It's a scary thing. You can just smoke somebody. You can cut them down. You can make them weary. You you can affect somebody's um, sense of um, their relationship with God. Your your tongue has power. And I've seen tongues, even in the midst of uh, believers, be used to create division. 
I've seen families divided, churches split, um, people who just absolutely hate each other, and the words that come out of their mouth, it's just unbelievable. And it is very clear that this tongue, this sinful environment, is set on fire by hell itself. So I want you to get the point here, and it's pretty simple, but I, I want you to feel it deeply. And the impression that James wants us to have is that the tongue has a huge effect, and if we're not careful, it can be really deadly When you put it all together, James is wanting to sort of raise the awareness in our minds of this issue and and really, I think, affecting us emotionally, helping us to get it and go, you know what, this is a big deal. And i got to take this seriously because our words have enormous destructive power. And I think if you will look back on your life, as I could on mine, and if we're honest, that we often, especially in the heat of the moment, forget the warning about the importance of our words. What happens instead is our strong feelings, our frustrations, the hurts from the past. Some of you have an area of your life you're like, don't go here. And when someone starts to go there or treat you a certain way, it just kicks a trigger on you and literally all hell breaks loose coming out of your mouth. Or uh, our former experiences, things that have taken place, and and then even your innate sinfulness and self-centeredness, they all converge, and what happens is that your, your tongue now becomes this convergence of all of these evil forces. And part of God's solution in James is waking up to the fact that that little thing in your mouth is really dangerous and treating it with the care and the governance and the restraint that it's need, that it needs. So here's the question. Do you see your tongue this way? Do you see your words this way? Do you see the things you put on Facebook this way? Do you see your text messages, your emails this way? Do you see them through a lens of real caution? Are you scared to death of your tongue? Do you treat it with the caution that it deserves? Because if you don't, I I promise you, you just keep going with no restraint, bad thinking, and then no restraint, it's going to blow up in your face one day. Big time. So um, as the father of three boys, I have seen them... um, do a lot of funny things in my lifetime. They love to take things apart and see how they work. Then they love to put things back together. And they also like fire. And so when you put those three things together, it creates some pretty fun and sometimes scary family moments. Uh, on the fun side, take for instance the time when uh, one of our sons took apart a, um, the clicker that you use on your gas grill to light it. He dissembled it and uh, found the way the clicking mechanism worked. And then he took a ballpoint pen Um, undid that, inserted the clicker into the ballpoint pen, and found some way to make that ballpoint pen a personal shocking device. And then he tormented us with it for a few days, walking around shocking us with this. So I was like, okay, nice, get it out of here, right? So um, that's on the the kind of fun side. On the not-so-fun side, one time they had some old smoke bombs or fireworks that they had found, and so they decided to cut them apart and open them up, and sure enough, there's black powder in there, and they were pretty excited because they thought, wow, the smoke powder, if we found a way to light all the smoke powder, it, it would create this 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 beautiful smoke offering to the Lord, and so um, and so what they did is they found some friends and they got together on their driveway and they cut up part these uh, various fireworks. They piled it all up and they're, they're sitting there trying to light it. And my wife, you know, walked by and as she has said so many times, she said this: "Oh boys, please be careful. Please be careful." And to which our boys said, "Mom, don't worry about it. It's just smoke powder." When it lights, it's just going to be a big pile of smoke. And she's like, all right, just just be careful. Well, one of our boys was trying to light it, and of course it wasn't working. And so he'd seen you know, me light fires and camping and things of that sort. So he knew to get close and kind of block the wind away. So he's clicking, clicking, clicking. And, and then all of a sudden, that bad boy pile of black powder, it lit. Now, it didn't just, it wasn't just lit. It exploded. 
exploded. And instead of it being an offering of smoke to the Lord, it was an offering of fire to the Lord. And so it just blew up. And gratefully, in God's providence, his body recoiled. His hands were burnt. His face was singed a bit. His, his eyebrows looked a little funny for a while. And he had to get a new haircut on the front. But took him took him to the ER. I think that was our third visit for that year. And... Um, <laughs> Had to get bandaged up and things of that sort. And from that, learned a really valuable lesson. And that if you're not careful, little things, when you light them, can blow up in your face. And I'm just telling you, friends, is no different with your words. If you're not careful, you'll blow up your home, you'll blow up your kids, you'll blow up the relationships around you. And you need to treat your tongue with the care and concern that you would treat other things that you know are really dangerous. Because this little thing in your mouth or the things that you write, there's real power there. Real power. Now, third, James also says that words can wound. Verse 7, he tells us that the, the tongue is really hard to control. He says this, Every kind of beast and bird, of reptile, sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. What's he saying there? What he's saying is this, you can't do this on your own. So he just said earlier that a righteous man learns how to tame his tongue, but now he says you can't do it on his own. Why Why does he say that? We'll hold that question, we'll get to it at the end, but just put it in your head this way. At the end of the day, you, you can't really change your tongue by yourself. We'll come back to that in a minute. Verse 8, he says this, No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. A restless evil. What does it mean? It means that it is unstable. It's, it means that it's always on the verge of disaster. So it's not just that this tongue has power, but it also means that it's, it's unstable. It, it could flip to the wrong side of the equation at any moment. I mean, you could be going along having a great time talking with your spouse in the car or your kids. You're talking about all sorts of great things, and one person says something negative, and before you know it, you're like, why are you kissing quiet? Right? Yo, you don't ever do that, right? Sure you know. Or you say things, or some sort of awful word that come out of your mouth. You could be praising God and worshiping him in here and in 15 minutes from now you could be saying awful wicked things in the hallway on your way home or in the context of your house it happens that fast it is a restless evil it also says it is full of deadly poison James really reaches the pinnacle of his argument here that this this tongue our words are full of spiritual and relational potential to kill that's what poison does it kills things And James says, our tongues are full of deadly poison. In fact, do you know that this idea of poison and the words, this is a familiar Old Testament and New Testament theme. The Apostle Paul, when referring to people who are rebelling against God, says this about them. Their throat is an open grave. Their tongues, they use them to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Why? Because there is no fear of God before their eyes. And and you know the characteristic of judgment when God and his righteousness will reign? Listen to what Paul describes in Romans 3.19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world will be accountable to God. One of the characteristics of God's ultimate rule is people stop talking about themselves and their own righteousness. Their mouths are shut. So they're open in their rebellion. They're shut in submission. So this notion of wounding words and the significance of evil that can come out of our mouths is indicative of a bigger problem, which is our rebellion against God. So the reason why our words are so awful is because our hearts 
need to be radically transformed by something other than ourselves. Sinclair Ferguson says this, The unregenerate tongue roams the wilds, quick to defend itself, swift to attack others, anxious to subdue them, always marked by evil. It mimics Satan in this respect, who, having rebelled against the God of peace, can never settle. He goes to and fro like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The tongue, under Satan's lordship, always shares that tendency. It has an inbuilt need to guard its own territory, to destroy rivals to itself, to be the king of the beasts. This is... How bad the tongue can really be. So let me just say it very clearly. Your words can be the tools of Satan to spiritually and relationally kill people. Your your words can seriously wound others. Now finally, our words are also revealing. Look at verses 9 to 12. We'll just take this one rather quickly. Our words are revealing. What do they reveal? Well, with it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, our tongues, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. So think of this. You could be singing great hymns, great songs, praising God, and then you're cutting on somebody who's made in the image of God, and you were singing words about God, but then you're cursing something made in the likeness of God. And that's, this inconsistency between what we say about God and what we say about others is a really big deal. James says this, For from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And then he says, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does spring, does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Of course, the answer is no. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond produce fresh water. So what is he saying here? He's saying that our words are telling that, well, Jesus put it this way in Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance. In other words, your words are simply a window to a bigger problem in the soul. And what I want you to realize is the justifications of the past, of your frustrations, of your hurt, of your pain, we need to set those aside and just be honest and, and serious about the words that come out of our mouth. That those things come from, not from our past alone, they come from a heart that really needs God's help. So then the question is this. So what do you do? What do you do? I've tried to elevate this issue of the tongue. And at the end of the day, what you need more than anything else is you need not only restraint on your tongue, you need to change the source of what the tongue is connected to, which is the heart. You you literally have to change your thinking. You have to change your feelings. Or even more importantly, you have to change fundamentally who you are. The challenge is you can never do that. But the hope, according to what the Bible tells us in the gospel, is that Jesus died to take care of heart problems. So here's the great news. It means that even though our problem is not just what we think or what we feel, that the problem is who we are, that by receiving Christ, a new master comes in, a new controller comes in, someone who takes over, cleanses us of our sin, makes us new people, and as a result, an amazing thing happens. When he makes you new, guess what? You also have new words. You have a new song. You have a new way of talking, a new level of restraint. So controlling the tongue cannot be done externally. It only happens as God, through Christ, cleanses you of your sin and makes you a new person. So it may be that you're here today and you know, and everyone else knows around you, and and, and you're just feeling the weight of this, that, that your tongue is a big problem. And it may be that God's got you here today for the reason to help you see that the tongue is just the tip of the iceberg. The the real problem isn't just what comes out. The real problem is what's going on on the inside. 
And it may be that God's going to use this very talk today, this sermon, to help you understand that your real need is to say, Jesus, I I can't fix my own heart. I need you to come and take over. And then even after you've received Christ, it means coming back to this thing over and over and over that I'm a new creature, that I, I can think differently, I can live differently, and my words need to reflect the reality of who I am. You see, what happens when Jesus becomes one's Lord, an amazing thing happens. The heart changes and the tongue does too. And so this tongue that used to be used for sinful, selfish, and satanic purposes, now when it's redeemed and transformed by the glory of the cross of Christ, now becomes an instrument of praise to God. That rather than saying, oh, I wish I didn't even have this tongue, instead, when it's redeemed, you say, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. I wish I had thousands of tongues to declare the glory of who and what God is. And what happens is that Jesus transforms everything about us, including how we talk. This is what the gospel can do. It changes not only what you say, it changes fundamentally who you are. So the challenge here, friends, is not just to be careful little mouth what you say. The issue is much deeper than that. The problem isn't, oh, be careful little mouth what you say. It's, oh, be careful, friend, who you are. Because the fact of the matter is, whether you like it or not, our words are really telling. What's more, our words are eternally telling. They're a window, not just to your soul. They're a window as to what path you are on in life. And whether that path is leading to life or whether that path is leading to death. And James wants us to take seriously the call to control the tongue, but even more, to take a close look at what's going on inside the heart. Be careful what you say. Lord Jesus, thank you that you've given us such great instruction in your beautiful book of James. And we are so grateful for this poignant and clear teaching from a pastor in the city of Jerusalem who knows what it's like to live with people. And we want to just acknowledge today, God, we got a long ways to go. All of us do. And we feel the weight. And I pray that you would remind us of the need for this governor that needs to be put on our mouth and more importantly um, a new king perhaps that needs to come into our soul i ask you to give us great understanding how to apply this how to change even today and perhaps even over lunch as a family just to acknowledge some things have got to change in how we talk they've got to so give us grace lord we're leaving now and we're going to start talking And the great potential is that we could undo so much good that you've already done in our hearts. And we thank you that, Jesus, you can change us from the inside out. And we ask you to continue to do that work today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, in like four seconds, you're going to start talking, okay? In four seconds, all right? So be careful. Watch that mouth. And if you need someone to pray with you about this, got some great folks up here, all right? God bless you. I love you. Thanks for coming.